0: As you watch this teaching, please subscribe, like, and comment so more people can see it. Welcome to Home Group. This is Wednesday night, and we're so glad to be with you tonight. It's me and Denise, Paul, and Joel. Oh, we're
1: so glad to be here. I mean, we're so glad to be with you.
0: You know what I've enjoyed? What? These past year programs, I enjoyed the bone. I enjoyed the samovar. And I see we have another little gift here. We do, but first we have to welcome Paul too. Yes, of course. Paul.
1: Hi everybody, thank you for joining us on this home group. And it's actually us joining you or you joining us. If you have not subscribed, please subscribe. If you have not liked, please liked. And if you have not visited renner.org, please visit renner.org. And hey,
0: Ask other people to join us for a home group. Let's cause our family to grow. But before I want to show you our new items that I promised I was going to show you, first I want to tell you that in the regular TV program this week, I'm doing a brand new series called The Coming of the Antichrist, and you can get the study guide for free. It is a download. Just go to renner.org. You can get it right now. And it comes with a great series, a 10-part series. Get the whole thing. You're going to love this. I need to show you what we've brought because this week we're having show and tell every night. First of all, I brought this. Now, have you noticed in our previous home groups that sometimes Denise wears blue glass. It's round, kind of aqua, Mm
1: -hmm. and
0: it has kind of orange-colored beads, which Mm -hmm. are amber, Mm -hmm. and it is a fragment of a Roman vase from 2,000 years ago. But guess what this is? This is a whole slag of Roman glass. And guess where I found this? I found this in a very large, old antique store on the Via della Rosa in Jerusalem.
1: I was gonna say in Jerusalem. There's a shop you like to go there.
0: There is, it's big, it's dusty. Most people don't like to go in it, but I like to go in it because it's got such unusual things on it. And I saw this sitting on the shelf. I said, now that is unusual. Because usually when you find Roman glass, it's in bits, it's in fragments. This is a whole slag which has survived from 2,000 years ago where they were making a whole lot of Roman glass, and I guess some of it fell into the sand. And I brought this, and I brought it home. And when I look at this, it makes me think of 1 Corinthians chapter 13, which says we see through a glass darkly, mm-hmm. but when we see Jesus suddenly all the fog's going to clear away and we're going to be able to see clearly. Well, they had glass in the Roman world, but as you can see, it wasn't transparent. It wasn't transparent. It allowed light, but not a lot of light. Mm-hmm. One of these days, you know, we have light now, but can you imagine the light we're going to have one of these days when we look into Jesus' face? Anyway, so this is, a slag of real Roman glass. This is 2,000 years old. It sits on the shelves of our studio. But wait, what else do we have here? Lamps. We have lamps. There were no candles in the New Testament. Anytime you read, let your candle shine, or Jesus withstand the middle of candlesticks, that is a bad translation. It's the word luknas, candles, like we know candles, didn't show up until the 15th century. Yes. Wow. 15th century.
1: Much, much later. Oil lamps like came before them. Almost
0: one and a half thousand years after the New Testament.
1: Yes, and there's, there's something else, a, a totally different story, totally not connected to these lamps, but when some people say that, uh, that the, the camel gate, help me. Uh, eye of a needle. Eye of a needle. It's easy for a camel to go through the eye of a needle, and some people say the eye of the needle was a specific gate, and camel couldn't go through the gate, that gate didn't show up until a thousand years after Jesus. That's not the right illustration. It's
0: medieval. It did not exist at the time of Jesus. Yes. That's a nice story, but it's not true. That's why you need to study. Anyway, these lamps, these are real lamps, the Greek word luknos, that's the word used all over the New Testament, and some people say, well... You know, in Revelation chapter 1 and chapter 2, when Jesus is standing in the middle of seven golden candlesticks, that is a Jewish menorah. Well, even if it was...
1: <clears throat> they still didn't have on
0: candles. On every branch, it didn't have a candle. What do you think sat set on the top of every branch? Well, exactly one of these. Exactly one of these. The word luknos. And this one is Greek. How do we know it's Greek? Well, look what it's made out of. It's black. This is typical Greek pottery. Mm-hmm. But we have several others. Greek mm. meaning very old. This one? Yes. I'm going to guess it's 23, 2,400 years old. Okay. This one is Byzantine. Not so old. Well, it's pretty old, 1,500 years old. It's pretty old. Maybe well, 1,300 yes. years.
1: What does the word Byzantine mean? It means it was probably in Istanbul after the Christian no, period. No, it does not. It means, it
0: means busy. Oh, you guys! <laughs> Byzantine. People talk about the Byzantine Empire. Yes. Well, for a while, Constantinople was called Byzantium. Mm-hmm. But Byzantine really describes the Christian era of the latter Roman Empire.
1: But that's what I just said. It's heard. a
0: period. Okay. It's a period. Anyway, this is Byzantine. Then you have this, and this is Roman. And uh, it's also a lamp. And notice these are are real. You can see these have all burned. And guess what this one is? Anybody know? Herodian. Oh, this is from the time of Herod the Great. And if you look on the top, you know, in Jerusalem, there were all kinds of things going on, including there was paganism in Jerusalem. This has a god on the top. Anyway, this is quite a specimen. But these are real, authentic lamps. From the first century. And these were in every home. They were in every business. And if you kept your lamp on the table, it would provide light to those who were around the table. But the higher the lamp, the greater the light. And Jesus said, we are to not put our lamp under a bushel, but to put it on a lamp stand. Why? Why? Because if all you're going to do is keep your light down low, you're just going to influence the people around the table. But when you lift your light, you begin to have greater influence with more people. You can fill the whole house with your influence. So if you have a gift, if you have a light, God's given you something special, maybe you need to get it off the table. It's good that you have it right there where you can influence those that are around the table. But just imagine how many people you can help if you'll lift your lamp a little higher. All right, that's what we have to show you. Tomorrow night, we have something else. All right, Joel. Okay, I would like to start off with a question I have. Okay. And this is kind of connected to Paul because I felt like he left us hanging. Tell us the rest of what the eye of a needle means.
1: Oh, okay. So when uh, Jesus says it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle, the word camel in Aramaic... Sounds just like the word rope or rope that was used for uh, ships. So when he was saying it's easier to put a camel, easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle, he was actually saying it's easier to put a big, huge rope through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. So what we have here is. A misunderstanding because the word rope sounds just like the word camel because the ropes were made from camel's hair. There you go.
0: Very good, Mr. Runner. That was good insight. So what does that mean? It's easier for... Same
1: meaning. The meaning doesn't change at all. It's either it's a camel or it's a rope. It's identically impossible for a camel or a rope to go through the eye of a needle, meaning that if we have to go to Jesus, we still have to humble ourselves and be able to give him everything. So the illustration remains exactly the same, but the meanings of the word were actually different.
0: Very good. All right. Thank you. All right, Joel. Thank you. What city did Jesus have in mind when he spoke... Of a city on a hill? Well, I knew you were going to ask that question because I looked at it. And so, guess what I brought? I brought sparkling gems from the Greek number two. Do you have it? You need to have it. The scripture that Joel is referring to is right here on page 252, where Jesus said, You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Now, where in the world did Jesus get such an illustration? Well, I'm going to read. Just a three-mile walk from Nazareth is the ancient city of Sepphoris, a city so elegant in ancient times, it was known as the Ornament of Galilee. It was the city of trade and commerce and banking, and because of the extreme wealth of this city, it had facilities that would usually be associated only with larger cities, like it had a big theater it had lots of shops. It was amazing what was there. And even today, if you go to the ancient city of Sephorus, you can see the mosaics. In fact, there's one mosaic preserved in Sepphoris, which is considered to be the finest preserved mosaic from that time. Wow. It is spectacular when you see it. And when you go in the ruins of the ancient synagogue there, which is where Mary's dad worked, just fabulous. But three miles away was Nazareth, a small village occupied mostly by workers who were employed in the enhancement of... Sephora. Sephoris. It was there that Jesus grew up with his parents, growing up next door to such a splendid city. There is little doubt that young Jesus stood in Nazareth, that he stood in Nazareth and gazed upon the city on a hill because Sephorus was literally on the crest of a hill... You could just see it, right? Nazareth was kind of on the side of a hill, and from Nazareth you could look over, and there is Sephorus, especially at night. It would have just been dazzling. That's what Jesus had on his mind when he said, you're like a city on a hill. What did he mean by that? Well, Sepphoris was a place of education, a place of banking, a place of culture, a place of great religious training. It was an influence in the region. You couldn't live in that part of Galilee and not fall under the influence of Sepphoris. And Jesus was really telling us that we are to have influence. And we're to have influence in every sphere of life, in money, in education, in entertainment. Our presence, our influence should be felt. That's what Jesus was talking about. Wow. Who were famous twin sisters... In the New Testament. Does anybody know the answer? Twin sisters in the New Testament. You got your Bibles? I do. Go to Romans chapter 16. Romans chapter 16. Romans chapter 16. I love Romans chapter 16 because it is filled with the names of so many people. It's really amazing. You even find out that there was a relative of Herod in this chapter. For example, look at Romans 16, verse 11, salute Herodian, my kinsman, which brings up a whole different subject that we're not going to discuss, But this was a member of Herod's family. But then if you would look at verse 12 where it says, salute Tryphena and Tryphosa, who labor in the Lord. Have you ever looked at those names and thought, who in the world (laughs) would name their kids Tryphena and Tryphosa? No, I never thought that. Have you ever thought it, Denise? Well, I thought they were connected.
1: Have you ever wondered about it, Paul? They're beautiful names, no, but if I had noticed this earlier, I may have made, named my girls Tryphena and Trifosa. Oh, right. I right. like strange names.
0: <laughs> well, these were Tri- twins. <laughs> and the reason we know they were twins is because these two names indicate they were twins. They were Tryphena and Tryphosa, and. The way that the names are concocted, it would have meant they were twin sisters. Hmm. And here we have another example about how God calls families. Two sisters serving in the ministry. I think that's beautiful. Okay, next, Joel. I just want to say I'm very glad Paul did not name his daughters. Oh, Tryphena and Trifosa.
1: <laughs> I know. I was Hey Trifina.
0: Hey Trifosa. I was
1: thinking about Paulina and I was thinking about Anya would not be like Hey, I wanted to to name my son Pharaoh, too. Okay, somebody said that was a bad idea. Oh, so glad you didn't get that one. (laughs) I'm
0: glad you have people who speak (laughs) soundness into your life. Uh, Why did Jesus' feet appear bronze, as bronze, uh, in the book of Revelation? Open your Bibles to Revelation chapter 1. Revelation chapter (laughs) 1, where John has had this remarkable revelation of Jesus at the end of his life. And when he sees Jesus, he tells us in Revelation 1, verse 15, And his feet, like unto fine brass, as if they burned in a furnace. He didn't say his feet were brass. He said they were like unto fine brass, as if they burned in a furnace. What you have here is a bad translation, and we really can't blame the translators because the Greek word that is used here is so, so strange. It is a Greek word, chalcolombanos. Say it again, chalcolombanos. The word chalcos is the word for bronze or brass, and in Scripture it always represents judgment. The word lambanos, from the Greek word lambano, describes frankincense. When you put the two together... It is an alloy of bronze and frankincense. That's impossible. That's impossible, and that's why nobody knows how to translate this. Furthermore, whatever it is, it says as, as if they burned in a furnace, which means it's not set yet. It's, it's There's something still being decided. Hmm. Why did Jesus' feet look like this combination of bronze and frankincense? Well, frankincense is... For priestly ministry represents prayer, bronze represents judgment, and here's what you find. Jesus was bringing a pretty serious message to five of these seven churches. To five of these churches, he told them they needed to repent or else. Jesus was headed in their direction. If they didn't repent, Ephesus was going to lose its candlestick, was gonna lose its place. If Pergamum did not repent, Oh, my goodness, Jesus told him he was going to deal with them severely. If Thyatira did not repent, Jesus was going to deal with them severely. Sardis, if he did not repent, it was going to lose its reputation entirely. Laodicea was in serious trouble. But because Jesus' feet were like bronze and bronze is very heavy, heavy it tells us Jesus was not moving swiftly to judge anybody. He was moving in their direction with judgment, but he was taking one step at a time, slowly moving in their direction, giving them time to self-correct. And his feet were doused in frankincense, which tells us he was praying that they would repent before he got there. That's why they were bronze. They were heavy. Can you imagine if your feet were like bronze? You could barely lift them. You wouldn't run anywhere. Jesus was not in a rush to judge. He told them that he was coming. He told them that he was going to deal with them if they did not repent, that he was giving them time to respond. And Libanos, the word frankincense, tells us this was judgment doused in prayer. He was praying that they would self-correct before he got there. That's why he sent them letters. Well,
1: also, most metal work, when you begin to melt metal, it doesn't usually smell good at all. Melting metal is usually very... Ac- it's, it's not nice at all. It's pretty disgusting. But here we're talking... You have bronze that's melting, or it's as if it's in a fire, that smells like something very pleasant, like frankincense. So this is judgment that is also going to be... Pleasant. Pleasant. I think that's important
0: because in the Old Testament, the anointing oil... Mm-hmm. If you look at all the ingredients that were in the anointing oil, when that anointing oil was applied, there was a lot of bloodshed, sacrifices, normally it was just stinking, stinking, stinking. It covered all the smells. But when the anointing came, it covered all the smells. That's a great point, Paul. Thank Mm -hmm. you. And when the anointing of the Holy Spirit is in operation, it's so different than the wrath of man, because the wrath of man hurts, it kills, it stinks. Ugh. It's not the same. But yeah. when the Holy Spirit moves, yes. He can cut, He can slice, it smells good, it feels good, because you know God's doing something marvelous. That's
1: why it's so important to understand that the judgment of God is not the same thing as man's judgment. It's a totally different type of a judgment, And so when we think of God being the great judge or jo- having consequences sometimes for the things that we do, it's not the, quite the same type of, of judging that we see here on earth. It's, it's a whole different character.
0: Okay, next question. Who is the wickedest church member named in the New Testament?
1: I know the answer to this
0: question. Okay, you all know the answer because you've heard me tell the story.
1: Yes, and I especially like where you get the
0: story from. All right, when Denise and I got married, we were on the staff of a big Baptist church in Arkansas who had a very dramatic pastor in its past whose name was J. Harold Smith. And J. Harold Smith knew how to stir the waters and create a controversy and pack every seat in the church. And so one day he came to the pulpit of First Baptist Church in Fort Smith, and he said, on such and such date... I'm going to publicly name the meanest, most vile, wicked member of this congregation. Well, everybody kind of knew he would do that. Name the date that he was going to do it. The whole church began wagging their tongues. Who's it going to be? Who's it going to be? Is it me? Is it you? Who do you think it is? He's going to publicly name the most wicked member of The church. He built it and built it over the weeks. And on the day that he decided he would announce it, they came to church. Church members were sitting in their pews with lawyers at their side. (laughs) People had just been whacking their tongues for weeks about who is it going to be. He said, open your Bibles to James chapter 3. And the church opened their Bibles to James chapter 3. I'm telling you, this guy was amazing. And he read this verse. Are you ready? Verse 5. Verse 5. Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasteth great things. Behold, how great a matter a little fire kindleth, and the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity, so is the tongue among our members that it defiles the whole body and sits on fire the course of nature, and it is set on fire of hell. Ladies and gentlemen, the most vile, wicked member of our church is the tongue. But because of what happened, the sermon was just illustrated in front of the whole city. So who is the most wicked member of every church? The tongue. The tongue. Next question. What about the book of Enoch? Oh, good question. The book of Enoch, you know, there's a lot of talk these days about the book of Enoch. And you know, the book of Enoch was not found so long ago. It was referred to over and over. For example, Jesus quotes the book of Enoch. James. James quotes the book of Enoch. Jude quotes the book of Enoch. Mm -hmm. Hey, wait a minute. Aren't those three people all connected? Yes. James, Jude, Jesus, they're all from the same family, and they're all quoting the book of Enoch, which means the book of Enoch was considered serious in their household. Peter seems to make reference to the book of Enoch. Peter refers to the book of Enoch. Now, the book of Enoch is not considered to be scripture, but the book of Enoch has a lot of insights to events in the Old Testament. Mm -hmm. For example, the whole Genesis chapter 6 ordeal, when the Sons of God, the fallen angels came in and had sex with women. They produced giants. The greatest commentary on that is in the book of Enoch. It's in the book of Enoch. Now, I don't know why, but a lot of people who get into the book of Enoch also get into a lot of weird stuff. They really do. The book of Enoch kind of like throws open the door to a lot of questions, and you have to be really careful about that because people like to follow rabbit trails that really doesn't do anything in their life. Mm-hmm. They think it's fascinating, it's interesting, and it almost becomes a distraction. And I've noticed that a lot of people who focus on the book of Enoch, it's just a distraction.
1: Okay, I read the book of Enoch, and I think Joel, you've read the book of Enoch. Uh, and the particular uh, book that I downloaded to read, the commentary to the book of Enoch was over 30 pages long and then the book of enoch itself so before i even got to read the book of enoch i realized wait a minute enoch was pre noah noah and if everything was destroyed in the flood including the enoch book of enoch and anything he could have written it means that the book of enoch is most likely something that was oral tradition handed down by Noah. So when you're reading the book of Enoch, you're actually getting as close as possible to oral tradition handed down by Noah. So Enoch is not even the author of the book of Enoch.
0: But it was considered reliable by a lot of sources. Yes. And according to the book of Jude... Enoch was the first one to have a revelation about the coming of Jesus. Yes. Because he said, behold, the Lord cometh with 10,000s and 10,000s of his saints, which means the end of the age was revealed at the very beginning of the age. God's always known the end from the very beginning. Isn't that amazing? Mm -hmm. Anyway, the book of Enoch. I think that it's fine to read the book of Enoch, but I would not say that it's scripture. It's not scripture. It's a great commentary on some events from the Old Testament. Yes, Joel. I think when you do read the book of Enoch, it does explain some things in the Old Testament, like what Paul is saying. And I think it's a very interesting read. Of course, many many people in the Bible reference it. But don't get fixated on it. But I like the book of Enoch because Enoch was raptured. He was. He was the first person to be raptured. Genesis chapter 5, verse 24. And I really like that little story about Enoch, that he had such a good relationship with God, that God just took him. I think it's just precious. One person said that one day God said, Hey, Enoch, you're closer to my house than your house. Come on with me. And God took him. This is beautiful. He pleased God. Mm -hmm. All right. Okay. Were there alien visitations in the Old Testament? Well, I have to be honest. I don't watch a lot of TV programs. But there is one program I like to watch because I get such a kick out of it, and it's about aliens. And they' come up with the most amazing stories, but if they would just stick with the Bible, they would find out the answers to all their questions because it 's all in Genesis chapter six. Yes, there were alien visitations, but they were not aliens; they were angelic or they were fallen angels. they were fallen angels, and that 's where all Greek mythology came from that 's where almost all pagan religions came from I was Telling Joel on a program we just filmed the other day, you know, the Greek world, the Roman world, the Egyptian world, they were philosophers, they were scientists, they were mathematics, mathematicians. We can't even build the pyramids today. They were smart people. They were smart people and they didn't base their religion on just overactive imaginations. Mm -hmm. There was really an event that took place and that event was so dramatic, it affected the whole early world and it's described in Genesis chapter 6 when the sons of God came down and the Bible says it happened before and after the flood which raises very interesting questions but these criminal angels that's what I would call them had sex with women and the women gave birth to monstrosities which were called Nephilim sometimes they were called Rephaim, Anakin, they had different names in the Old Testament that they were gargantuan beings they were filled with violence but they were the result of this cohabitation between fallen angels and women
1: and just to stretch the imagination a little bit the bible only tells us about the fallen angel offspring that we know about around israel this could have been happening in other places besides Israel. Joel, I, be, I mean Paul, I believe it happened all over the world. So, when we talk about these demigods that were showing up or that seem to have been showing up... Now what's a demigod? demigod is half a god. It's, a, it's the result of a god having sex with a woman. This would be the, the Nephilim, the Rephaim, the Anakins, these half-breeds. Half-breeds. It all makes
0: sense if you just believe the Bible. So that's the answer. That's a good question. I like that question. It's yes, for de- very deep thinkers. Yeah, especially today when people are talking a lot about UFOs and... It really happened in Genesis chapter 6, but they were not UFOs. They were angels who invaded the world's atmosphere. And Peter calls them criminal angels. In fact, Peter says God put them in Tartarus. That is so connected to Greek mythology, because Tartarus was the underground dungeon where the rebellious gods were put. Peter's connecting all this, saying, hey guys, all this Greek stuff It began back then in Genesis chapter 16, chapter 6, when God himself grabbed hold of those criminal angels and put them in chains of darkness, the word zophos, suffocating darkness, could be the ultimate punishment for an angel that was created to live in God's glory. Now locked in everlasting chains of darkness, everlasting means... It was a non-negotiable decision. God put them there. They are still there. And the Bible says they will eternally be kept there unto judgment. They'll never get out. We're out of time. But when we come back tomorrow night, we're going to show you something brand new. And we're going to go to our next questions. Are you guys enjoying this? Mm
1: -hmm. Oh,
0: yes. This is wonderful. And please tell us, what is your favorite question so far? We would love to know. Dad reads all the comments, and I read many of them. And I think your answer would help us. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. If you enjoyed that teaching, please subscribe, like, and comment so more people can see it.